Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Food for Thought here on WJR. Seemingly, the higher you go up the ladder of success, a leader gains both opportunities and compensation equal to with the breadth and the weight of their responsibilities. Seemingly, this is the way our society structures the leadership journey. This may not be remotely true for anyone else, but the top leadership positions, I think it's probably more true than not, particularly for executive level or C-type positions. Ever since Enron embezzlement, the trauma of the 1980s, CEOs and corporate leadership have been under watchful eyes. Yet somehow salaries within the professional white-collar world has grown significantly greater than those who are down the ladder at the working wage scale. As I look back over the initial year of programming for Food for Thought, I realize we have had some top-level, C-level leaders on our show. Ironically, these leaders have also thoughtfully, intentionally made sure that their companies, corporations, and associations are investing in their communities. I know the media highlights the evil corporate leaders, but not here, not on Food for Thought. Rick Hampson from Citizens Bank, Rick DeVore from PNC Bank here in Southeast Michigan, Rob Fowler from the Small Business Association, Ken Nobus from the Michigan Milk Producers, Rachel Hurst from Kroger, Susan Hawkins from Henry Ford Health Systems, and Sean Wilson from Ford just to name a few. Leaders who are using their positions and opportunities to better their communities. Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan CEO Jim Robinson is included in this list. He believed in me, Jerry, and our vision to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan and agreed to be the initial sponsor for our show. I'm sure his marketing team had difficulty believing in us like he does, but he held fast, and here we are today, a few months shy of our first year anniversary. I want to stop during this month of gratitude and say thanks to Jim, Jim Robinson, the CEO for Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Thanks, Jim, for believing in Jerry and myself and our vision to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Prasan. And Jerry, uh, kind of a, a, a galactic show today, but... You know, the emphasis that we have at the Food Bank Council and our network of seven food banks is to create food security across the state of Michigan. And we're developing together, all of us together, our network, this blueprint, along with partners, to create food security across the state. And I know you've given a lot of thought to that. Well, I love that you started the show with a list of leaders who care and who are really making this a priority. Because when we look at what is going to make our blueprint succeed, 
our blueprint to end hunger in Michigan. What is going to make that succeed? I think there's five fundamental things that it, that it that is going to make oh. it succeed. Here we go. All right. The first one is having enough people who want hunger to be done. You know, and so you just made a nice little list of some of the people on our show. That list is enormous. There are so many people that want to end hunger, and that's critical to the success of anything, right? Yeah. So for the second thing is that we can solve hunger even if we don't solve poverty. And it's a confusion out there that you have to solve poverty for everyone forever in order to solve hunger. That is not true. We can create a blueprint to solve hunger even if there's still poverty. It just means we have to know how big the safety net needs to be, who it needs to be for, and for how long, right? Right. So the third thing on the success of the blueprint is that solving hunger is cheaper than not solving hunger. Man, that's true. And it is true because if you leave hunger the way it is, it creates problems for people, it creates problems for the community, and those are expensive to solve, whether it's health care problems or law enforcement problems or instability in households. Education outcomes. Hugely expensive to solve those problems. So solving hunger is cheaper than not solving it. The fourth thing is that the impact of solving hunger can be proven to improve our community in clear and compelling ways. And you just listed education. We all we've been talking about healthcare. We've talked about how businesses have employees who are food insecure and how that's creating turnover and how that's creating strife at work. Almost every section of our community is affected by food insecurity and we can prove it in clear and compelling ways. And the fifth thing is that we can take steps now while we build the next step. So you know it's the saying how do you that. eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Right. So many metaphors to get to the same point. We don't have to have the whole answer, but we have enough of the answer that we can take steps now till we reach the next ones. Okay, so here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to spend another show on these five things. Few shows, I hope. I I think so. But one I'm going to highlight here just in the closing couple of minutes of this segment is there are operational steps that we are doing now and others we can actualize we don't have to have the entire process built before we begin correct i love that yeah i absolutely love that and so i know coming up is carrie calvert yes um and we're going to be talking to her about things that are going on right now in the federal government so that we can move at least that part of the conversation forward on this show Oh, we yeah, absolutely. Carrie Calvert, she is the director for tax policy and commodities, right? What we're talking about here uh, for Feed, the Feeding America Network, and she's uh, right there in Washington D.C. And she's going to be our guest for the next couple of segments, and uh, we're going to reach out to her in just a few moments. So you come back and be with Jerry Rasson, CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank, chairman of the Food Bank Council Board of Directors. Me, Dr. Phil Knight, and our guest Carrie Calvert. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Brisson in the WJR studio, and Carrie Calvert is on our line. She is the Director of Tax Policy and Commodities for Feeding America. Carrie, welcome back to Food for Thought. Well, thanks uh, to you both for having me again. Uh, I must have said something 
that was slightly helpful last time for you to invite me back. So I am really happy to have a chance to talk with you today. Even well, more than slightly helpful. I mean, uh, I think I think I speaking for both the good doctor and myself, you're one of the smartest, most capable people up there doing this work. So we are so honored to have you with us to talk about what's going on. So let's do that. Oof. Let's just dive right in. So um, great. You, Carrie, you're the Managing Director for Tax, Policy, and Commodities on behalf of Feeding America, our network of over 200 food banks that serve every county in America, and those include all 83 counties here in Michigan. So, uh, you know, we set off air, Jerry made a great joke, thank God there's nothing going on with tax policy in D.C. right now. So let's just start at the deep end of the pool, jump in there. What's going on with... uh, with uh, from your vantage point in regard to some of the tax policies that's going to have impact on our work. Right. So there's this tax bill that's happening, and it's happening fast. Um, the, but, the joint budget, budget resolution that was passed means that a tax bill can pass the Senate with only a majority of senators instead of 60 senators. So uh, the House and the Senate are moving really quickly to consider and vote on this tax bill. The House bill could be voted on today and pass, and the Senate Finance Committee is considering their bill. So why should Feeding America and our food banks care about this tax bill? Number one, it makes some changes on the individual taxpayer side that would make it, um, that would have an impact on charitable giving. And we're really nervous about that because you know, we hear from our network that they're already extremely challenged in meeting the demand in local communities. And a drop in giving is, a drop in charitable giving is never good. But when we're dealing with all of the challenges that our network is seeing right now, it really is not a good time to see a $13 billion drop in giving to charities overall in a tax bill. Uh, so number one, that's a significant concern. Number two, um, there's some changes in terms of the um, tax benefits, especially for low-income Americans, that could mean that they are worse off after this tax bill goes through. Some changes to the child tax credit, you know, personal exemptions that people could take. And we're really worried about the economic impact this will have on the pocketbooks of people we're serving. And then the third thing is, you know, whenever there's – a big tax bill that's going to decrease federal revenues, you really worry about the impact that this will have on federal domestic spending. Uh, Specifically, will this put pressure um, on uh, SNAP to be cut in the farm bill? Does this put pressure on Medicaid and Medicare moving forward? And we've already seen some comments that um, entitlement spending needs to be curbed as soon as we can get through tax reform. So I think any time there's a tax bill that will create a significant imbalance between federal tax revenue and what we know the expected need is for federal domestic spending, we're really concerned about what this means, you know, on pressure to cut spending for vital programs next year and then the year after that. So I'm going to summarize in my own words because I, you know, I think I, I think I got this, and it comes down to three things: less money for charitable giving, less money for low-income people that we serve, and less money potentially anyway for the programs that we need to help support our work for the people that we serve. 
you got it. The, that that is it in a nutshell. And that's why uh, you know, Feeding America sent a letter to House leadership yesterday outlining our concerns. We've communicated our concerns to our network of food banks, and we really urge them as they are able to speak out to do so. We know this is a busy, busy time of year for our our food bank network. Our our members are serving lots of communities as they are entering the holiday season with not enough food on their tables. It's a busy, busy time for our network, but this is a, a critically important issue, and we know that our voices are needed not only to speak up for our food banks, but on behalf of the people we're serving that aren't being heard on Capitol Hill. So let me let me press on one of one of these issues or a couple of these issues in a certain way. So one of the things that we know is that there's a belief that um, the nonprofit community, like food banks, can take on more of the burden of doing these programs. Right. And I do think that there's some truth to that, and I think there's opportunities for us to do that. But what I think particularly uh, that you've just said that makes me question uh, whether or not um, we're really thinking through the consequences of the bill is if you're going to have less charitable money and you're going to have less spending from government both, well, then you're hitting both sides of that. In other words, you're burning the end of uh, of the candle, right? Both ends of the candle to where there's not going to be much wax left to solve the problem. Right. So, you know, it's, think- it seems to me that's kind of risky. Yeah, you know, I think we're really worried about the unintended consequences. Anytime that significant legislation is done very quickly, uh, I think that it's not always in the best interest of everyone. Uh, one of the things that's unique about working on the farm bill normally is that um, successful farm bills are passed down the middle of the aisle, you know, um, and and that has really helped protect many of the programs that our, our country relies upon, both for safe and efficient food production and to ensure that our neighbors have, have food when they need it and when they need assistance. So um, this bill, you know, we're still learning what the impact is, and changes are still being made fairly, fairly quickly to what's in it. So I think there's a, a significant concern that uh, members are voting on a bill without a full understanding of everything that's in it. And it's very hard to communicate to community members what this bill will mean for them, right? Exactly. Uh, no one wants, everyone's excited about the idea of lower taxes and more money in their pocketbook. But it's not going to mean a lower tax bill for everyone, number one. And number two, I think it's very important to put this in the context of all the other changes that the bill would do and how this could impact our country. So. She's Carrie Calvert. She is the Director of Tax Policy and Commodities for Feeding America. And uh, Carrie, uh, in my life and all the times I've spent in this world of advocacy, particularly in D.C., complicated legislation that gets done quickly is bad. (laughs) I've never seen it good. When it's complicated and it's rushed, it always ends up as a bad piece of legislation that we have to come back and fix later. That's what I'm scared this is going to be as well. But let us let me move us down the road just a little bit further with a few minutes that we have left here. Is that um, there, So that's tax policy, and that has a lot of implications for us as food banks and other charitable organizations as well. But there's also impact there toward, uh, and, and you touched on it, uh, with some of the government uh, 
programs that are giving benefits to the families that we're serving, such as SNAP, and all that's rolled up in the Farm Bill, correct? Yes, it is. So where are we at with the Farm Bill? So where are we at with the Farm Bill? So first, the joint budget resolution that I mentioned that helps pave the way for tax reform to be considered, luckily it did not tell the House or the Senate Agriculture Committees to save money to help move that tax bill forward. That's great news for the Farm Bill. It means that House Committee Chairman Mike Conaway and Senate Ag Committee Chairman um, Pat Roberts can write their Farm Bill without instructions ahead of time saying it must save this. That said, uh, there are a lot of needs that um, many, many organizations want to have addressed in the Farm Bill, and the Farm Bill has less money to do that this time around. Part of that is a good reason. More people are working, and therefore less people are participating in the SNAP program. That means that the money available for the next Farm Bill is less. What that means for us, though, is that we really need to be telling that story to our communities, to our members, that a farm bill that keeps vital federal nutrition programs and ag supports for our nation's growers and producers strong and combined together is a win for our country. Carrie, let me stop you right there. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll, but we want to hold you over for the next segment as well. Do you have time? Yep, that's fine. Great. All right. Jerry Brisson, Phil Knight, this is Food for Thought. We'll be right back with Carrie Calvert in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson, the CEO and president of Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chair of the Food Bank Council of Michigan's Board of Directors. And as always, our esteemed and uh, insightful co-host. I love it. Yeah, and you know we're just talking about the farm bill, and and uh, it's it's always surprising to people when the supplemental nutrition assistance and things like that are put in a farm bill because they it but but they really do make sense to go together. And if I can just say a couple things about that to illuminate that, and then we'll get right back into the legislation. So the year that tractors outnumbered horses on farms, nineteen fifty four. It was all. Wait a minute, minute. you got to say that again. The year that tractors outnumbered horses on farms was 1954, not that long ago, right? Right. So we are, from that point forward, we have been dealing with, for the first time really in human history, a regular and sustainable food surplus. Well, a regular and sustainable food surplus has significant impact on the farming community and on our population, right? And so so it doesn't mean there aren't good and bad years. It doesn't mean there aren't droughts and other issues that farmers have to deal with. But fundamentally, you have an opportunity to really reach people in a very different way as the, the production of good fertilizer and the advances in technological productivity create 
a sustainable food surplus. So in really, really good years when farmers are producing like crazy, the weather is perfect, everything, it's the, it's the perfect storm in the positive way, Right. there is a lot of food. Well, what are you going to do with that? Are you just going to let it go to waste? What happens to the farmers that can't sell all that food? There is a huge and dynamic impact in a positive year. On the reverse side, you have years when it's the perfect storm in a bad way, sure. and now you have a completely different pipeline of food to manage. Well, you think about the miles of road, the miles of railroad, the amount of gasoline, the drivers, and everything involved in this food system, and you can see why legislation was needed to try to make this work better for that whole economy. It's a huge part of our national economy. So so now you have that dynamic along with the fact that we have in our urban areas, some pretty significant poverty developing also as a result of things generally out of people's control. If you think about all the things that have happened socially since the 1950s, you've got right. the end of World War II. I know it's like that's going back a long ways, no. but it changes the environment. You have the labor movement, you have the civil rights movement, you have other very significant things happening socially. But there's a lot of food available to help solve the problem. So people started to connect the dots between this huge food surplus and the people needing assistance so that they could be more successful in whatever they do. And thus you have the Farm Bill. So I hope, uh, Carrie, if you want to add anything to that little bit of history, um, but I just think it's good to put in perspective why those two things were put together and how that's really been an effective piece of legislation to both help farmers and people in need make more sense of the economy and be successful. That's really good stuff, Jerry. I feel like I've just been watching PBS here for a minute. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was really good. I mean, I don't think people normally connect those dots. And we're fortunate to have Kerry Calvert on our team, who is the managing director for tax policy and commodities that you just talked about, representing our interest, the food bank, Feeding America interest in Washington, D.C., and she's right at the front of the line working on this farm bill, this piece of legislation that you just historically outlined. Carrie? I could not agree more, Jerry. You know, we see that the impact that having, um, you know, a uniform food production system and a safety net for growers and producers has had in this country. You know, our country is able to produce so much food, not only for our um, citizens and our community members, but uh, worldwide as well. And I want to highlight two things that you mentioned, Jerry, that really illustrate that the need for a strong farm bill for um, both people facing hunger and people that are growing our food and um, the promise of seeing how we can more efficiently make that connection. One of the things that happened this year that really does illustrate the need for a strong farm bill are the disasters that hit Texas, Florida, uh, Puerto Rico, and California. You know, Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria hit those communities in quick order. Uh, they were then followed by wildfires in Northern California. And the one thing we saw as we worked to help our food banks provide food in those communities is that 
USDA was such a strong partner, not only to provide food assistance to those that needed after their livelihoods, their homes and communities were destroyed, but also to help growers and producers whose crops were destroyed. You know, the cotton crop in Texas, uh, they had tons of losses there. The citrus crop in Florida was really damaged. Farmers in Puerto Rico saw a lot of losses. And without a strong farm bill and these programs being reauthorized and protected, USDA would not have been able to provide disaster SNAP or disaster household commodities through TFAP or to reimburse growers and producers for their crops that were lost right when they were about to harvest them. So as we move into the 2018 Farm Bill and thinking about it, looking at how effectively USDA was able to help communities in need during these disasters this year really reinforces the need for a strong Farm Bill. Uh, The other thing that I think Uh, looking at how the Farm Bill came to be and how um, programs to help rural communities and growers um, got combined with new nutrition programs, you know, we have such a a strong capability in this country to produce food. The U.S. is often called, uh, you know, the world's breadbasket. But oftentimes, if there's not a retail market, either domestically or internationally for that food, maybe it's a you know, not quite perfect apple or, you know, the the market, you know, it's been a bumper crop year and the market for it just isn't there. We need to figure out the way to connect that with people in need. There are a lot of states that have been leading the way in this. Michigan is one of them. Um, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, many other states are also looking at this as well. Ohio, connecting, how to connect surplus nutritious food with communities in need. And looking at how can we reduce, uh, reimburse producers and growers for the cost to produce the food and transport it um, through the Food Bank Network and through um, community organizations to individuals in need, it's really a win-win for both sides. The grower and the, and the producer has their, their costs met so that they're not losing money on the donation, and we're able to get more nutritious food to people in need. And I think that's so critical when you look at the intersection of food insecurity and diet-related disease and health concerns. We know that uh, we need to try to connect more nutritious food with people in need, and this is a great way to do so that also helps growers and producers that are vital members of our community. Yeah, I just want to make a really concrete point. Apples, right? We can get apples through our Michigan Agricultural Surplus System, which is exactly what you're talking about. We're we're dealing directly with the growers. This is the earliest part of the food supply system, right, where the food is the right. least costly, right, 15 cents a pound, versus by the time you get to the end of the food supply chain, it can be three ninety nine a pound. So, so that cost differential is an example of driving efficiency in the food system while we're actually helping growers at least save enough money so that in those years where they're having a hard time, they've got something left over. That is efficient and smart legislation. I could not agree more. And I think there's a real opportunity to think through how we can make that connection in the next farm bill. Um, you know, there the, the SNAP program really is the... Um, the the backbone of our nation's uh, work to address food insecurity. And by any measure you look at, it is an astounding, astounding success. But we know that many of the people that we serve that are dealing with episodic food insecurity or household food assistance needs 
often make too much money to qualify for SNAP. So ensuring that we can um, strengthen these win-win partnerships between uh, the public and the private sector helps ensure that our network is able to step in and help where people are in that in-between spot of just needing a little assistance because they might be in between jobs or, you know, there's been an unexpected um, bill uh, come up or, uh, you know, a car breakdown or things like that. Right, you know, those trade-offs. There are a lot of other needs that are harder to address in terms of more entrenched food insecurity, and I think that really does require a collaborative approach to look at how can we um, examine and analyze the needs of those that want employment and are unable to get it, and what's the right intervention? Well, we're going to have to have that conversation. Uh, In fact, we're having that conversation here in Michigan. We uh, just recently had a meeting with our Department of Health and Human Services about legislation, policies that, that really injure people who want to work, can work, are working, but are ineligible for any benefits. And we're going to have to have you back next time to talk about that here on Food for Thought. She's Carrie Calvert. She's the Managing Director for Tax Policy and Commodity, representing all of the Feeding America network that's serving every county in the United States. Jerry, it's been a privilege to have Carrie with us again. Absolutely. Carrie, thanks for being with us. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the great work that you're doing in Michigan. It really makes such a difference. Um, and really help support our work as well. So thank you, and have a great day. You You too. too. Thanks, Gary. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back. Food for Thought, Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Brisson here, Carrie Calvert with us on two very important topics, the Farm Bill as well as the current tax policy. I mean, Jerry, she's right there in the halls of Congress right now listening between the Senate and the House and which version of this tax bill is going to come out. And I think it does really have a lot of impact on our work. And we know these are priorities for a lot of different reasons, and it affects a huge number of people in different ways across the community. So one of our goals on this show is to at least bring people in who can explain the piece of this that affects the people we work with. And I think it's worth repeating that, you know, it does look like less money for charitable giving. It looks like less money for low-income taxpayers. These are taxpayers we're talking about. And it looks like less income potentially for some programs that help the people we serve. Now, there's trade-offs, and we understand those trade-offs, and we understand it's a complicated... uh, uh, Tax is always complicated, but, uh, but it's important to at least highlight what is the impact on the people we serve and what does that mean for us. Yeah. So, and the impact it's going to have on charity. Okay, let me just say this. We don't know what we don't know yet. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that if you, if this tax policy goes through as written, um, which seldom happens, this is going to be the impact on the charitable sector and on people's disposable income and what they're going to be able to give. And I don't know yet. I'm, right. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to be the guy, last guy on the bus on this one because I've heard the doomsday scenario about tax policies and charitable contributions too many times in my career. And I, I'm not saying it's a good thing, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying I'm not saying anything yet. 
let's wait and because we I'm I really don't believe we we know what we what we even don't know yet. Yeah, and that's a really good caution. Um, not only because the bill isn't done, but also because. It's somebody's job to lay out worst-case scenarios. And so we can't assume the worst-case scenario is the scenario ever. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, we're talking about the other side of this thing in, farm, in the Farm Bill is, you know, access, the, the, the extra food that is produced. And, you know, we just had someone on the show last, uh, just a few weeks ago, that talked about a million pounds of asparagus was left in the field here in Michigan last growing season. Right. Absolutely right. So it's not a question of, of uh, do we have enough food? It's, it's more about logistics. And you guys, honestly, in the Food Bank Network, all seven of you are logistical geniuses. Yeah, that's how what we've had to learn to do our part. And so we all do our part in different ways to make to connect all the dots so that we get this done in the most efficient way possible. And there are definitely ways that as we look at the Farm Bill, we can continue to drive improvements. And again, it drives me crazy when the only message out there is we need more money. That is not the only message. We need to do more and better. And both of those have to be considered when we look at this type of legislation. Uh, And I think that particularly the hotbed issue within that farm Farm Bill is the SNAP is the you know supplemental nutritional assistance program food stamps it used to be called so how that program has grown exponentially over the years and what's the return on investment for that that's a question that a lot of people have and it's not one that we have answered particularly well and one of the reasons we haven't answered it well is because there is not one organization that's responsible to advocate for snap and and prove its worth and its value. So I I I think that you know that's why a lot of people are doing it. Frax doing it. Feeding America's doing it because we recognize the impact if that program gets severely cut and goes away. That is going to increase the dependency on the food bank network. And can we handle that? Or how much can we handle? And what will we need to handle it well? And is that cheaper than SNAP? I mean, at the end of the day, you got to look at the whole picture. And if it is cheaper, well, we should do it. But what if it's not cheaper? Well, then we just made a big mistake. Well, and but the point is, you got to be, and the point of this show, Food for Thought, is you got to be able to have that conversation. And there's both, there's folks on both sides of that issue, pro and for, against, that don't want to even have the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And that's always unfortunate. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about how we don't talk. So let's talk, right? Let's That's, talk. That's why we're doing food for thought. And with that, here's a little bit of food for thought. As we continue this month of gratitude, I'm reminded of what Clement Stone once said. If you're truly thankful, what do you do? You share. Honestly, I'm thankful we tend to slow down a bit later this month and intentionally express our thanksgiving. And as I look at the past year and this show, Food for Thought, I'm very thankful for business leaders with integrity, gratitude, and wanting to use their positions of leadership to partner with Jerry and me on this show and our entire network of food banks to create food security across Michigan. That's what the business leaders in Michigan are doing, at least the ones who are partnering with us here at the Food Bank Council. So thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Please know that um, you have our gratitude for listening to Food for Thought. 
If you want to catch up on an episode, you can do that at foodsecuremichigan.org. Come back next week, and until then, remember, folks, food first. Folks, food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.